Welcome to Comically Confused, a New 52 podcast. We're covering the entire New 52 one book at a time. I'm your host, Grant. And I'm your host, Nate. And Nate, what book are we covering this week? We're covering Action Comics Volume 2, the second book in Grant Morrison's Action Comic Run. Now, overall, how did you feel about this run? Ah, the book was a big improvement, man. I had so much fun reading this, and it was really a different type of Superman story that I haven't really seen much of. Yeah, I feel very similar about this. Like, this is almost exactly what I want out of a book called Action Comics. Because uh, this definitely shifted its focus and told a lot more interesting stories with the idea of Superman, sometimes focusing on completely different takes on the character in different universes or otherwise uh, looking at Superman through a different lens or from a side character's point of view. And I think that's great. I mean, if I want a book just about Superman, I'll buy a book called Superman. But this being action comics, I feel like under that title, you can do a lot more. And we would kind of harped on this in the last episode. And this is the exact delivery. This is almost exactly what I want. And weirdly enough, I'd almost be okay if this was even less about Superman. But uh, this book did what it did very well. Yeah, like the book is called Action Comics. So you don't really have to focus on Superman all the time, even though it's like primarily a Superman book. So you can play around like having other Superman than Clark Kent or like just having action characters in general. It's a lot of opportunity with that name. Yeah, I really am starting to dig this book. I wasn't totally sold on it the first episode, but uh, I'm really looking forward to when we eventually revisit this now. Yeah, I really I felt like issue uh, volume number one was really bogged down by having to do like the standard Superman origin and all that and explain the world. So once this, once, once Morrison established all that, he got to play around and be more Morrison like in this volume. Yeah. So touching on that, I mean, we've basically credited Grant Morrison to just his writing style, adapting to this book a lot better or the book fitting itself to his writing style better. Hard to say which is which. Uh, but how did you feel about the artwork in this book? Since we're now dealing with almost an entire team of artists with uh, Gene Ha guest starring in issue nine, Rags Morales returning for issues 10 through 12, and uh, the off issues like issue zero and the annual being done by Ben Oliver and Ryan Sook. First off, I'm going to cover Rags Morales because he was the main artist of this book. And since uh, volume number one, his art was way more consistent. I had way less issue with the characters' designs or, like, in static poses, all that. It was well done. No problems with it. No more egg-shaped Humpty Dumpty like Luther or anything like that. With uh, the bald characters, it was big step up. Yeah, I noticed a lot more consistency with his art this time around. Uh, it was a lot easier to tell who was who. I didn't feel like faces were changing every page, like, kind of happened in the last volume. But yeah, overall, it seems like Rags Morales is just kind of refining his form in this particular set of books. Uh, and one thing I do want to touch on, a little out of place here, but uh, this particular set of issues here, it's not just another lump of six like normal. Uh, this is uh, also going to include the issue zero New 52 did uh, about a year into its run and also the first annual of Superman. So yeah, Action Comics a little structured a little more strangely than most books in that regard but uh this is basically volume two of superman overall 
But returning to the artwork, yeah, while Rags Morales did a good job, I really enjoyed some of the guest artists here. Um, Gene Ha for issue nine did a great job since, as we'll get into a bit, there's a lot of really weird and out there ideas in that issue. Um, and I think any artist would have an incredibly hard time depicting uh, interdimensional travel or like machines that make ideas come to life. But yeah, Gene really sells that and it gets its ideas across very well. And if I was given that task as an artist, which I'm not, I would have no idea how to tackle something like that. Yeah, this art really suits uh, Grant Morrison's style as a writer. Just having to do all these out of uh, otherworldly ideas, like with extra dimensional stuff and other things like that. Most artists have to be creative to interpret on a piece of paper. Yeah. And so really good work with Gene Ha. We've seen his work a little bit before and uh, his, his is a name I don't really recognize, but after issue nine, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for him through the rest of these books uh, just to get a better feel for what he does well. Cause yeah, there's obviously a lot of talent there. Uh, as far as issue zero goes with Ben Oliver, I probably liked that one best of any of these just because his art style is a lot more distinct than everyone else. I would describe it as like, Alex Ross light like the book almost looks painted but I don't really have the eye for art to really tell whether or not that's the case but yeah all the characters look a lot more three-dimensional and realistic without quite seeming like actual real people the way Alex Ross does it so uh yeah I would love to see a whole book with this art style but I assume it's probably a lot more time consuming to draw that way I agree it feels it feels so suited for the story and that's what I can say for most of these uh, guest artists that it's not, it doesn't feel like just a fill-in artist came in. It feels like Grant Morrison or the creative team picked this artist to tell the story, especially with uh, Zero Issue being a more personal story. And it's, it's more down to earth with the characters looking more human-like instead of like standard comic book art. So it's really nice. And I have to agree with you being, this is my favorite artists in the bunch and kind of going the opposite direction the annual had a guest artist of ryan sook and he kind of goes the opposite direction of what gene or not gene what ben oliver did with his issue um sometimes artists will take the art in a very different direction when they're stepping in and uh depending on how it's done it can be done very well like what ben oliver did other times it just feels weird and out of place like i've seen long ongoing books have one issue that uh, everyone looks like their characters in manga or like it's a web comic or they just bring in an art with a very distinct, an artist with a very distinct style that was not what was there before. It's just there for an issue or two and then it's gone. And when it's not a separate story, it doesn't work. But Ryan, so uh, he manages to just kind of take the style of the book and run with it. Uh, while there are subtle differences, it fits in with the rest of out uh, action comics for the most part, kind of taking rags Morales's style. Uh, so I can appreciate that when an artist just does his work, uh, make sure it fits the book, doesn't feel too out of place and uh, just doesn't feel jarring to the reader. Yeah. I have to agree with you again. Uh, the art in that issue feels really suited for the issue being more action focused than the rest of the issues. And his his actions actually flow flow with his choreography. So yeah, did his job for that annual. It didn't blow me away, but it didn't blow me away. But I did enjoy reading it. 
and it was it was good enough. Yeah, moving on to the events of these issues, uh, looking specifically at issue nine here to start us off, uh, we see a depiction of a much different world of Superman and a very different style of storytelling overall. But the issue focuses on uh, Calvin Ellis, who's the Superman of another world. He's both the president and he's black, uh, kind of like the Barack Obama version of Superman, if we're being honest here. Uh, we see him come into contact with a Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent from another dimension who are on the run from this evil, faceless robot version of Superman. They explain that rather than their universe being one where Clark Kent is Superman flying around, they're instead all scientists who invented an idea machine that basically anything they think of together will come to life. Uh, while they wanted this to be used to create a Superman to make the world better, uh, their idea basically got uh, taken over by this corrupt corporation who just wanted to profit off the idea. And instead, this whole Superman brand just went to this faceless, robotic, anti-hero Superman that, uh, while very popular in his world with everyone adopting a symbol, he's very much made the world for the worse and made it a darker place. Uh, this Superman has chased them through several dimensions and killed various other forms of Superman on his way in very brutal means, too. Uh, but this Superman actually manages to stand up and defeat him with the help of his own Lex Luthor and uh, kind of manages to salvage the idea of Superman to these people and helps them find their place in this world. Uh, we also get a backup story that shows a little bit more of what it's like to be both president and Superman and how he's leading a double life. So nobody knows the president is also Superman and gives us a much better depiction of this world where most of the Justice League is also black. And it's kind of like the Wakanda version of the DC universe, where I think it could be uh, maybe not described as Afrofuturism, but definitely definitely a utopia nonetheless. Yeah, I this is my favorite issue out of the bunch. It may be one of my favorite Superman comics as a whole, just because of how meta it is. Because the whole thesis state, these thesis of this issue is like Superman. It's a reflection on Superman or creative works in the, as a whole. Because the brand Superman is like a reflection if someone sells out the creative work that had a meaning, lost being more corporate. Or being more marketable. And even uh, Pardon Lois said that they sold out this wonderful idea to make the world a better place and have meaning to be a marketing icon. And we can see that in the world that the Superman brand he sold to the brand is not just the robot. He his the Superman symbols on t-shirts, bras, games, toys, and all that felt like a more like the boys at that point. And I really enjoyed that because that's a reflection of how all superheroes and how most media is portrayed in modern day at being a brand. Yeah. And what I find weird is how early this story is. Like this would almost make more sense to me if this had been written uh, a couple years into the new 52, where it was a lot more clear that this version of Superman isn't quite the symbol of hope others know him as like instead of picturing him as like the best of us they really focus on the fact that he's an alien that was a very much a mandate at dc that like remember guys he's an alien which that's never been superman that's uh, um nothing point about the character uh 
So also this preceding like Man of Steel and some of the other darker depictions of Superman and other media, like this is really ahead of its time as a story. So uh, I got a lot of enjoyment reading that in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah. And it also like plays with that idea too, because characters like the main Superman in this book, Calvin is the curation of Superman being a brand. And I can say he is also idea to, that wouldn't happen without being a brand in the first place, but it's also a good role model because it shows Superman can be anyone, even like a black man, a white man, a Asian, anyone can be Superman. It's the idea of being a better person and being an uh, inspiration. So it's it's a really interesting issue that I would one day in the future actually like to make a video on itself on. What I really love about the use of this Superman in this book is how he's a perfect juxtaposition. Uh, juxtaposition of the villain of the story whereas that's just kind of superman taken at its worst or just like basically giving the people what they want like here everyone complained that oh superman doesn't fight enough you never see him punch anybody he's too much of a good guy Uh, this is the opposite of that and like okay just because you're doing something new with superman doesn't mean it has to be not superman i mean a black president superman is something we've never seen before but this has all of the harm hallmarks of a superman story despite it being in such a different shell we've got him being a symbol of hope to the people he's fighting corruption across the world he's leading a double life as both superman and uh the president no one knows who he really is and he's making difficult decisions about how to use so much power that's everything that should be in a Superman story. And just because this one looks a little different doesn't mean it's not Superman. Yeah, because he has like the uh, almost the exact same origins of Clark Kent. And that even say the instance that I know some discussion online from some people say Superman shouldn't have a race chain because he's a white person. But I can counter argument that Superman origin is supposed to be an outsider. And that works for the time of being like a... Uh, allegory for a Jew, but like him being like a different race works well as as well because Calvin has he came from a alien planet Krypton that was about to blow up. He went to a family that taught him the moral ideas to be a better person and be an inspiration to people. Like this is a Telmarch Superman story, just with not being a Clark Kent, but the idea of Superman is still there. And one thing I have to say, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the ideas they managed to show here. I am blown away by how much Grant Morrison and the backup writer here, I believe it's uh, Shelly Fish, um, just how much they were able to cram into this one issue. Because not only do we get a very full, fleshed-out image of the Calvin Ellis Superman, they also introduce us to the DC multiverse and like idea machines that bring everything to life. And none of that really feels rushed. Like this does a, this totally succeeds in introducing three or four major cerebral ideas in one single issue of comics that a lot of other lesser writers probably couldn't have done an entire graphic novel. I agree. It's a lot. And it's a lot of content in these issues in this issue, but it doesn't feel Force doesn't feel like a whole bunch of exposition. It's filled, it flows naturally and it can be its own. Uh, I feel like you can give this to anyone and it can be his own story and just a standalone away from like even reading any other comic in this line. 
Yeah, and I mean, there is like a little bit of um, self-description to just flesh out the world a bit that maybe feels a little out of place because they had to do this. Like uh, Superman's uh, secretary calls him and she's like, you know, it's me, your secretary you always ignore. Or like when he's facing off against Lex Luthor, like he has to say like, I'm not racist. I hate everything else about you except for that. Like, I mean, these are very good at just world building with a sentence. So I mean, if this were an ongoing book about this character, it might feel a little weird, but given it's his first and one of only appearances, there's probably not really any other way you could do it to flesh out his world this much without a little bit of exposition here and there. Yes, I agree. And the backup's actually a good setup for the themes of the up-and-coming uh, arc that we're about to get into. It deals with like a moral dilemma that this Superman has to deal with that then in like the next arc, issue 10 through uh, 12 that Clark's going to deal with a similar issue. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to those uh, getting back to action comics as usual here. Uh, So in issues 10 through 12, we see that Superman is having a hard time coming to terms with his place in the world and how best to use his powers for the good of everyone. He's even butting heads with the justice league over whether or not to use their powers for more than just fighting crime. Meanwhile, the hunter Nimrod has made it his mission to kill the ultimate game, Superman, and he's even figured out his secret identity. Before he can strike, though, Clark Kent is seemingly killed in a suicide bombing on the Daily Star. While the world is mourning Clark's death, Superman is still saving Metropolis and has taken on a new secret identity, the loner firefighter Johnny Clark. However, Superman is having a hard time letting go of all of his loved ones and already misses being Clark Kent. Meanwhile, Lois Lane and her niece Susie are attacked by an alien robot, but Susie is saved by a mysterious flying figure who reveals himself to be Adam Blake, a.k.a. Captain Comet, another superhuman from rural Kansas. Adam attempts to flee the planet with Susie after he informs her that she's a Newtant, an enhanced being born centuries ahead of her time who he must save from the coming threat of the multitude, a mysterious force that's coming to destroy Earth. Superman arrives to save Susie, but Captain Comet uses his mental powers to incapacitate Superman and force the surrounding bystanders to attack him. Superman narrowly manages to defeat Captain Comet by clearing his mind and relying on instinct to overcome Captain Comet's mental powers. Afterwards, Batman helps Superman realize that he was saving lives with his reporting as Clark Kent, and he needs to find a way to bring Clark back. Thankfully, it turns out that Clark's landlady is a genie from the fifth dimension who can use one of her wishes to make the Earth forget Clark ever died. However, she warns that there's trouble in the fifth dimension that's going to put everyone he loves in danger. The arc ends with Clark seemingly being taken to the fifth dimension, with a final page showing Susie Lane being watched by a mysterious small man seemingly connected to the coming trouble. Yeah, uh, good summary. Uh, Let's start with our most important figure in this, uh, Clark Kent, and I will start us off. That I really like how much it focuses on Clark Kent more dilemma of him being Superman instead of just being like a what you expect from a book named Action Comics just being like just fight after fight or just having like a conflict uh, a conflict outside of Clark uh, like in the previous volume and I really like the struggle of him deciding is Clark Kent good enough should I be Superman all the time is I'm useful as Clark and you can also see him like struggle being Superman some instance. And one scene that really bring that in is uh, in an earlier issue, I think around issue number nine, uh, issue number 10, where super uh, homeless building get destroyed, like uh, where homeless people is hiding out at. And Superman like 
quickly let's builds builds back up because Superman and one of the reporters asked him, Do you know the market value on this? Like he doesn't really see like the consequences of his actions of being Superman. Yeah, this really just does a great job doing an overview of like what's great about Clark Kent. And in a lot of superhero stories, that's what a superhero's death is all about. I mean, almost no superhero death is permanent. So usually when they do a comic about their death, it's also meant to be a celebration of their character. And that's why it's not quite the end of the world that they always bring them back a couple months later. Uh, And this is a little different with it being the death of an alter ego, but the hero is very much still around. Uh, In... Superman's early days, it totally makes sense to have this story because, yeah, if I were Superman, I would be struggling with the same question of why ever stop being Superman if I can do this all the time. But, yeah, when Clark Kent is also saving the world in different ways and Superman's actions often have unintended consequences no matter how virtuous the ideas behind said actions are, uh, it makes sense that he would really be having a hard time coming to terms with this and the loss of Clark Kent. Yeah, it's because, like, a character like Superman, most people don't have, like, the same attachment to Clark Kent that they would have with Spider-Man and Peter Parker. But this book really explains how important Clark Kent is in the Superman mythos because, I, for me personally, I feel like Clark Kent's the character and Superman the mask, unlike Batman, where Bruce Wayne is, like, the mask and he's, like, Batman all the time. And it really shows how Clark is taking this as being Superman all the time and killing his identity because it's a nice backup issue and issue 10 or 11, I believe where it's like all his uh, close friends at the daily plan is talking about how well of a good guy Clark Kent was. It was like a scene with Jimmy saying how all these, he's a lucky guy, but is, is actually having super using his powers to be helpful. Or one of my favorite parts of that is a earthquake that happens in Metropolis and Clark Kent goes out, not even as Superman, and just tries to help people. And it shows how Clark Kent can spread inspiration, not even yeah. wearing the costume. And to add on to that, it's from Lois's point of view, that story. And she even talks about how ashamed of herself she felt. Because when that happened to the two of them, her first idea was like getting either getting to safety or getting the scoop, getting the story. But Clark's first action was to run in and save people and just like how much of an inspiration he was as a person. And that's really when we see Superman start to like come into conflict with the loss of Clark Kent. Now that he's realizing like, Oh, people loved me and are missing me here, which like that backup story by Shally fish really just seals the deal because this is a world where Superman doesn't have his parents anymore. They'd be the main people that like would be affected by Clark Kent's false death. But even without them, we see like, yeah, even just his coworkers had so much respect for this guy that like Clark Kent is a Superman in and of himself. Yeah, and we see you see his real struggles of him just being isolated. Like a lot of people, a lot of people think Superman is this like Superman all the time, like a Superman that can deal with all these problems. But at the end of the day, Clark Kent is still human in nature. He gets lonely. He missed the social interaction. He misses his friends, and just sitting in the a fortress in the sky from the collector isn't gonna do do it Uh, we even see with his new identity as a firefighter like well that makes sense that he has a new role that's gonna keep putting him in danger so he can use his powers for good he's still secluded himself from everyone else he's not going out with his co-workers 
And it really shows why Superman needs Clark Kent as his secret identity. Because, yeah, just being in his pseudo fortress of solitude or just like being kind of a loner, he's losing his human connection. And that is going to affect his decision making and how he sees the world. I mean, while he technically is an alien, this is what's really going to alienate himself, not having an identity among the people. Yeah. Now, moving on, uh, unless you have anything else to say about Clark Kent. Yeah, I guess I would like to tackle one thing here. Um, and I guess this leads into our next point of Superman questioning whether or not he should be using his powers for more than just fighting crime and saving the world. Uh, as a personal admission, of the biggest three superheroes in the world of Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man, Superman is actually my favorite, and that's not a very popular opinion. Because I think when people think of superhero stories, they just think good guy, fighting bad guy, cool set piece, etc. Which, yes, that's harder to make a good one of those when your character is borderline invincible. But the thing is, there's so much more to Superman than that. And that's what we're seeing in this arc. Of like, yeah, he can do anything. He can pr- be basically can't be hurt unless there's a weird plot device like Kryptonite there. But the world around him is not invincible and all of his actions have consequences. So while he has the power to probably save the world single-handedly and more than just from danger, but reshape it for the better, that's a lot of responsibility with actions or with consequences that he can't see. So just to see this godlike character struggling with this, I, I, find in a strange way relatable like that's what everyone complains about the character is that he's not relatable but no someone's struggling with like what decisions to make in life and what the right thing to do is when you can't see the future that actually has a lot of application to the average person Yeah, i agree because if you just look at like the top three superheroes uh, superman batman spider-man people only can see what that means in the moment or like a action scene or powers and abilities and all that but if you look deeper in these characters and that's what stick with people with the characters not people don't like people don't love batman well some people don't love batman that because he's a ninja he's super smart and super rich people connect to batman because he's a loner he's a loner his parents dead and he he's uh he's motivated and i can say the same for superman people some people like superman for his powers and all that but what keeps Superman, the character, to live so long in the hearts of people is his, him, his journey of not being a better man and being an inspiration. And you cannot do that with most characters. Yeah, and most of the takes we've seen the last few years of like quote unquote evil Superman, whether it's in Injustice or Kingdom Come or just new characters like what we see in the boys invincible or irredeemable uh when superman does more than just rescuing people that seems to be where most stories kind of take him off the beaten path and kind of lose his way so like while i think evil superman's a little bit overdone now uh this just kind of helps hammer in the point of like why Superman's not wrong to be the way he is. And that's also what I love about this story is it's the same thing for Clark Kent. Why Clark Kent is valid and also needed in the realm of Superman. Yeah. Now moving on to my, uh, our next point is uh, the justice league uh, appears in this book. And it's a little weird timeline wise, because uh, volume one took place six years and a year before justice, the justice league volume one. And this one takes place in justice league, 
right after the events of Dark Side and Justice League number one, but not before, but before they did the time skip of five years. So this book is it's kind of wonky because we have some instances of Clark wearing his uh, t-shirts and jeans, but when it's like actually time for him like fight like a supervillain, we see him dress up as uh, his battle armor from the last issue. But talking about the Justice League influence in the book, I actually like and like. But it's also kind of an issue how to just leave like, trade in this. It's a uh, especially like characters like Wonder Woman who acts like a totally different character than her justly like, counterpart. But the point of them in this issue is saying Clark saying to the team is that we as the Just League we can help the world and not just be like a fighting force. They can help starvation. They can help poverty or torture around the world. And the Just League come to conflict with. Clark mindset on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there that the timeline's a little weird and the characterization is a little bit different there with this depiction of the Justice League. Um, I won't fault the book for that too much because I think you'll see that just about anywhere when one writer has to write the characters for another book. He's, of course, not going to have the same grasp as that particular depiction of the characters, especially someone like Grant Morrison, who has written the Justice League before, but a very different Justice League at that. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the interaction was really cool. I really like seeing these... Um, character moments outside of the justice league that impact the individual characters and just how those interactions work. Like, while some of the characterizations a little weird. I really enjoyed seeing that it was like the flash who was really against Superman's ideas here, just because he's a cop and really wants to stay within the law and not act outside of it in any means, uh, regardless of what they think is going to be the best for everyone. He's kind of the man on the ground that's keeping the team grounded and realizing like, hey, just because we have these powers doesn't mean we get to decide what's best for everyone. Uh, and yeah, it's certainly a question that's worth raising and the Justice League book itself hadn't quite gotten to that point at just yet here. Uh, we saw a little bit of it with their little Green Arrow side book of uh, Green Arrow wanting to bring a social conscience to the team and it's nice to see outside of the justice league that they are having those conversations that is a struggle they're having even if green arrow isn't the one to bring up that discussion yeah because like batman even say like if we do this we're gonna be like a arm for the u.s government just to fight the problems that we do not understand so it's back and forth and it's not just like it's just not superman saying saying i want to help people but the t the team to say no it's the team actually giving arguments against what clark want to do because they're all americans and they don't know the world issues they can cause like a butterfly effect across if superman just swoops in and help these countries yeah, and I really love that it was Batman who said that in the team because he's objectively the smartest member of the team, unless maybe you count Cyborg with computer knowledge, but, you know, Batman's his own thing. And, yeah, even he who has a plan for everything is the one like, yeah, these issues overseas we just don't understand. Or it's not our place to come in and solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict when we've been so separated from that. We don't fully understand the issues here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the despite the mischaracterization grant morrison used the justice league very well for the one or two pages he had them i actually i actually like what he did in this because we see justly in downtime which we saw some of in volume number two but 
I really enjoy scenes of the Justice League just talking. Even though it's boring to some folks that just having these super powerful be- people just have a normal conversation of how being super people affect the world and how to use that power responsibly. And it's kind of strange because one of our biggest complaints in volume one and just volume two of Justice League was that Superman didn't feel like a character. And this Superman that Grant Morrison writes felt the most different between what Jeff Johns was doing with the league and that, which I don't see as a fault because Jeff Johns didn't know what Grant Morrison would do. It's just strange reading this right after us reading Justice League. Yeah. And uh, this is probably something that'll be brought up a few times throughout the podcast, but uh, this is really where trouble comes in with a line wide relaunch of this, especially one with 52 books is like, it takes a lot of work to put out a comic book every month. And some of these writers are putting out multiple comics every month. Like I know Grant Morrison also had animal man, um, possibly a couple other projects as well. He was working on. So a lot of these writers just don't have the time to read and research everything else that's going on that month, especially when so much of what's happening is still in other writers heads. So I'm willing to forgive mischaracterizations between books uh, especially with these long-running characters like Superman, where we've seen him written in so many different ways by so many different people, that that's just a sad reality of comic books that you have to come to terms with. Our real problem with New 52 is things that can be solved with problem solving, like a timeline or histories of characters or costumes. That's our big problem. The characterization is slight. And going to our next key point, because we're already talking about Just like I really want to talk about i like the friendship we see just between superman and batman in this because they get their own scenes just the two of them outside of justice league mm-hmm. yeah like the justice league book did kind of build up that these two characters identify with each other more than they identify with the rest of the league and that's really furthered here whether that was intentional or unintentional by grant morrison and i really like that like bruce wayne also having a lot to juggle with his own secret identity is the one to point out like how much good you can do as a normal person and is also the one to bring to his attention like hey i'm the one who can do the research here and show you that like dozens of lives have been saved by what Clark ken has done so the world is objectively a better place by having him in it yeah i batman here works really well with clark even though we see so little of it i don't understand why writers do not take advantage of it more. I'm not saying they don't take advantage of this because Batman and Superman have crossed over and had crossover books between themselves. But I enjoy this seeing Batman and Superman just being friends and interacting because they have similar origins, even if it's like different scales. They both lost their original family. They're both protectors and and all that. But see, just having little moments of just seeing their friendship grow, especially during these early years, it's really enjoyable to read. And which especially having Batman uh Batman impact in this, it's being one of the main reasons for Clark to come back, bring back that identity. And I love that they're friends with all the realities of what they do being at play. Like when he first approaches Batman, he's just like, You have five minutes. Any longer than that, and someone's gonna get killed in Gotham. And like 
Mm-hmm. It's just these guys understand each other so well, and like Superman doesn't raise any objection to that. Like he gets it. He he can hear whoever's in trouble in Metropolis at any time. So like, yeah, it's just such a wonderful dynamic between these two. Like even though one's the human and one's the god of the team, like they still have more in common than anyone else because of the responsibility they put on their own shoulders. Okay. Uh, moving on to our next point, would you like to start us off on uh, your your thoughts on the villain in this? Yeah, uh, so this story introduces us to the character Captain Comet in the New 52, which uh, I had never actually heard of before, so I just did a quick little bit of research uh, just to see what I could find, if he was a new character or not, and this guy predates most of the Justice League and most of the heroes we know. He was actually introduced in about like the late 40s or 50s uh, before comics and started to reach their silver age uh, at a time when new superhero comic books just weren't selling. So he's just kind of a novelty that he came out when he did. Uh, And he's basically a mutant or someone who's born with their superpowers. So he's one of the only heroes to ever come around uh, before the X-Men to have that. Uh, So like, there's just a lot of weird, interesting trivia about this character, despite the fact that he's never really been given any focus in the DC universe. He's just like a weird peripheral character that'll show up here or there. Uh, But I I don't think he's even had his own book in several decades. I, this is really a great Morrison trade of using these irrelevant characters, say for lack of better words, and make them interesting because he's one of the only people that actually knows or care about these characters from not even the the in between of the golden age and silver age and he needed to adapt that to a modern age and he uses the character real well because he's the foil of superman in this he's a super powerful being but and he's also from uh kansas as well but it's superman that that doesn't have the moral guidance of the Kents to raise him to be what he is today, and he doesn't have the secret identity to make him. Uh, I'm trying to think, he doesn't have the secret identity to not be his super powerful self at the time. So he does what Clark thought it's the right thing to do of trying to affect the world and all and other things like that because he doesn't have the guidance or of the moral compass of Superman. What I really like too is like, normally when you see a foil of Superman, it's just someone as strong as Superman. Who's also evil, which isn't really the case of captain comet. I mean, as mentioned, he's been a hero of his own books decades ago. So he's not like a longstanding villain and nothing he does here aside from attacking Superman is meant to be outright villainous. Like he's trying to save a little girl. He just doesn't really care when her aunt gets hit by a truck in the process. He's like, well, you're the one that's important here. You're the one that holds the future in your hands. She's just one of, thousand billions of bystanders that's going to die coming up here and he's also coming to grips with the like this ever-present threat of the multitude that even superman was researching a bit here uh and that's one thing we didn't get to touch on in the summary but yeah this mysterious multitude thing superman just finds out about here and finds out uh brainiac in the last volume might not have totally been in the wrong for just trying to preserve humanity from this so this is just another route to deal with the upcoming doom we have here and to touch on your point of like his upbringing and not having the same moral compass we get a little bit of his origins in the main book and then uh coming up in the uh issue zero where we find out that 
he, while being raised on a Kansas farm, like his parents did not care for him. Like his dad thought he was some kind of monstrosity. Like there's a lot of bigotry he's gone through here. Uh, and despite all that, he's still not an outright villain. Like he even says that like, he's going to make it his mission now to save all these worlds that are targeted by the multitude. So even though he's a little bit morally gray in his actions, like he is still trying to be a hero. Oh yeah. It's really good. It's a really good villain for this story that Grant Morris was telling throughout this arc. So I really enjoyed him. Yeah. Now the main reason I wanted to do research on this character uh, is that if you look at his design in this issue, it's very reminiscent of Magneto from the X-Men. Like, the same kind of red jumpsuit, some similar detailing, the black cape. Uh, and I think that might actually be intentional for this book specifically, because when you look at old depictions of Captain Comet, he's just a very generic superhero who doesn't have a cape, has a comet on his chest. So because they're kind of tackling the idea of mutants or newtons with an N here, <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that was very much intentional by the part of the artist. Yeah. Uh, now, moving on, how do you feel about the ending reveal in this uh, story arc with the fifth dimensional genie and that being the reason why Clark King identity can come back. How do you feel about that? It really felt like this was just kind of out of place. Like Superman's landlady has been a recurring character through the previous issues. And I actually enjoyed her presence. Like she finds Superman's costume in his apartment and kind of helps him hide his identity from the police. Uh, so she was sort of an endearing character from what we saw here, but at the same time, that was a lot of opportunities they had to hint at the fact that she's kind of like Mixel Picnic, like she's from the fifth dimension and has all these uh, unworldly powers. So, well, I'm glad they found a way to bring black Car bring back Clark Kent. Uh, it just felt out of nowhere, kind of hand wavy, and I get that's pretty common in comic books, but I, I just feel like Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison is talented enough to find a better way to do this and could have found ways to slowly introduce her and maybe deal with the Clark Kent problem for another couple of issues while he's also showing the like, Oh, Hey, here's a solution for you. Yeah. It felt like a deus ex machina that being like a, a event that can solve a problem without actually being explained beforehand. And I mean, it just feels kind of lazy at that point because he didn't have to find like a, real solution how to make it Clark Kent come back and it's not foreshadowed at all like I didn't really catch her name being anywhere close to that being like Mr. Pitalix or being like fifth dimensional being so that was one of my major fallings of this arc yeah and I just feel like with the background of the DC universe there are other things they could have done with this or to lead into it because like Superman's biggest vulnerability is magic outside of Kryptonite so maybe you could have had him face some magic villain instead for a couple issues or even this arc uh, maybe bring in someone like Zatanna or Dr. Fate uh, and then just use magic to do it we can accept that if literally a wizard did it then I mean <laughs> that can do a lot I agree so moving on uh, let's talk about the backups. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first, Grant? Uh, let's start small and work towards some of the better ones. Uh, honestly, 
the backups throughout this book have been really strong. Even in the last volume, it's hard to touch on these when we're covering multiple books at a time, but Shawley Fish is doing a really great job fleshing out this world for us and building a bit more of Superman's background. Uh, and I mean, in the first volume, there were many issues where I actually preferred the backup story than Grant Morrison's main story. Uh, so I think the one I want to start with is the t-shirt story we see of like a couple out of towners wind up in Metropolis and this t-shirt salesman is trying to pitch him like, oh, hey, I'm where Superman got his t-shirts from and like has this whole story of how that came to be and how Superman saved his life. Uh, and then we find out that like literally every t-shirt shop in Metropolis has the same kind of story and claims to be the original. <laughs> Yeah, it was a nice last page reveal of that. I, I enjoyed that storyline. It's nice and simple. You show like show Superman you show a BS story of Superman experiencing his early days trying to make the t shirt and you just find out the last page that it was complete BS. So I liked it. Yeah, and it Metropolis is a really interesting setting when you take a second to look at it. And this is just a perfect example of like even a t-shirt shop, they can write an interesting story about. And I really hope to see more of that in the upcoming backups and issues of action comics. Uh, next one. Let's talk about the stolen Cape storyline. Personally, my favorite backup of the bunch. And it's just a story about a abused kid getting Superman's cape and using that cape to be inspired to stick up to his abusive father and try to run away with his uh, little brother. That's his father. He was trying to abuse. And they also get to see a uh, Superman's first meeting of Jimmy and Lois. Yeah, this story is really excellent. And I, I will have to give it credit that it's kind of its own thing being the bulk of action comics number zero and Grant Morrison actually did this particular one. But yeah, the story is just super interesting and we don't often get to see Superman deal with uh, so much personal tragedy or like the real the real dark realities of like modern life. Uh, and yeah, this is basically the movie Radio Flyer for those who also like obscure movies, but featuring Superman. And it, it does some cool stuff like Superman's cape has been talked up a lot in the previous issues. And we see here that, yeah, it is a very strong material. This kid is able to stand up to his dad with it. And we just get that inspiring moment of like him saving these two kids and helping them get away from this situation. And just having his big debut right in front of Jimmy Olsen and Lois by like doing this iconic stopping of a train heading right for this boy. Because, I mean, what is a superhero story without a train sequence? <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say about it other than it's just an amazing story. This amazing, like, 10, I think it's around like 10 ish, 10 pages or whatever, something like that. And it's just really good. And one other backup we've already talked about the events of, but I just wanted to highlight uh, because it's really one of the best moments of the book so far. I believe it's the back of issue nine, is when we, or sorry, issue 10, where all of Clark's friends are getting together at a bar to just discuss how great of a guy he was. Uh, you would even mention that like you didn't realize that was a backup at first because it just flows into the story so well. And it, that's what really highlights what was so good about Clark Kent and his minimal interactions with these people so far, since he'd only been around a year or two at this point and already left such an impact. And 
weird as it is, just seeing these people talk about how great Clark Kent was, was a very touching story for not a lot of action happening within it. I agree. Uh, now, let's move on to our last bit of this. Uh, can you give a quick summary of the annual? Yeah, in the annual, we see Superman face off against this villain, uh, the K-Man, or the Kryptonite Man, as he's sometimes called. Uh, he's someone who's basically blamed Superman for ruining his life and destroying his marriage, when in reality, Superman saved his wife from him because he was a very physically abusive husband. Uh, he undergoes this weird experiment to try and give him powers from the kryptonite in Superman's rocket engine. And it's kind of goes wrong, but ends up leaving him much more powerful than they expected, even more so than Superman. Uh, when the two face off, Superman actually almost loses, but once again, gets saved by steel at the last moment. He uh, provides Superman with a hazmat suit that kind of protects him from the kryptonite effects. And he's ultimately able to defeat the K man. Now this annual is actually really different from volume two and it's pretty weird due to the fact that all a lot of the plot points from volume one actually show up in the annual and nowhere else in volume two especially especially uh lex Luthor shows up general general lane shows up still shows back up and none of those characters actually show up in volume two. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even a little bit more to that as well to touch on backup stories. Again, this is the issue where we see the backup really fleshing out Adam Blake or captain Comet's backstory. So tying into the previous issues, but also we find out the person researching this is Eric Drecken, who we saw very briefly in the first volume is this weird monster that can mutate himself. So it's slowly kind of explaining those weird off stories we had a lot of thoughts about last episode involving time travel and villains we haven't seen before. So now at least three of those characters we've seen in the book now, uh, and it's just kind of tying things all together, which I think is great. It's what annuals can do best with both telling its own self-contained story and making people want to pick up the individual issues as well. Uh, I agree. Uh, let's move on uh, to our question. Is this improvement of the previous arc? Yeah, um, I think we probably answered that in the first couple episodes, uh, first couple seconds of the show. Uh, I absolutely think this was an improvement. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I really hope that Action Comics stays like this for the next while. I, I believe eventually the creative team is going to change, which is unfortunate given how good this was. Uh, but yeah, this is absolutely something I could put in the hands of people. If you see Action Comics Volume 2 in some kind of uh, $5 graphic novel bin or some discount shop, absolutely pick it up, even if you can't find Volume 1, because I think you'll find a lot of enjoyment in this story, and it's just the perfect example of how much creativity there can be in Action Comics or Superman stories. I agree. I feel like this is a perfect standalone volume that I can give to almost anyone and not even mind volume one. Not saying volume one was bad. I gave it an eight out of 10 Just saying this is a big step up and isn't bogged down by having to be an origin story and being a standard superhero comic with the standard stuff like fighting a villain like Brainiac will result into. And it's, it actually feels a little more like the side issues to me of of volume one like the 
issue with Legion of Superhero or Legion about the ship, but it can expand more on that aspects of Grant Morrison writing style without halting the plot. Yeah, so I'll have you go first because I have a suspicion I might have a higher rating. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put this book? I will give this book a 9 out of 10. Uh, Just to give a little thoughts on my grading scale, I give 8s to books I just enjoy, like Justice League, just being like an action blockbuster with little faults, I give that an 8, or a book that meaningful and that make me think about mythos or have a mixture of good mythos, make me think about the origins of character, or just think about in general, uh, 8, but it has some flaws. But this book has little flaws other than like the ending reveal and make me think of the idea of Superman as a concept, also having good action and good to look at, so I give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, strangely enough, that's actually what I want to give it as well. Uh, I think if I was being a more harsh critic, maybe I could harp on the issues of this book, like the weird stuff with his landlady being a genie, uh, and a few other points, like just Nimrod, the hunter, not paying off too much in this volume. That would make it Nate. But the thing is, what this book does so well, it does outstanding outstandingly well uh with issue nine we see grant morrison at his absolute best or just doing what he does best when it comes to the long-standing characters like superman on uh, the backup issues and also issue zero just really blew me away with some of my favorite little superman stories here and there and moments that are going to stick with me when i think about what i love about superman in fact there's probably issues here not even just issue nine that like when people are giving me a hard time saying superman's not cool i might be like no here's some dc universe credentials check out this issue in particular you're wrong superman is awesome so when i in giving something a nine out of 10 here, normally something has to be a little bit more consistently good and have lesser flaws. But if something's good aspects outweigh the bad by this much, then I can't help but give it a nine out of 10. Yeah, I agree. One of the main things uh, stopping it from being like a 10 out of 10 to me, it was especially like the landlord just being like a plot convenience of getting out of the, consequences of having Clark Kent. Other than that, it'd probably be a 10 out of 10 in my book, but that's just too big of a major issue on my standpoint. But yeah, it's an amazing issue that I will definitely be giving out to people who's recommending the recommendation of Superman Stories Read. So, what we've really touched on here is that like this book has a lot of what we want to see in a Superman comic, which leads into our question of the week as we bring things to a close here. What do you want to see in a Superman movie rather than a comic? I want to see more like he powered Superman and you just have a ramp up of him being getting stronger. Not talking, I'm not talking as like in Man of Steel when we see him as a kid with his powers. I'm talking about like I want him to be like volume one Superman at first, having a low power ceiling because that's a major issue what people have with Superman. So you can. I see he can bring people to theaters having that aspect of him being a more weaker character. And I feel like you could be more like Smallville in the sense and having maybe ha- half or dedicate a good portion of him just in Smallville dealing like that. And you can see the buildup of him being uh, inspiration to people by him establishing his moral compass at first. Cause a yeah, lot I really like stories, what you're going at there. Yeah, A lot of Superman stories just have really eager be a metropolis and him being superman and i feel like 
you're losing a lot. That's why a lot of Batman stories of his origins, but we don't see him as Batman till midway through the movie because it's a ramp up, and we don't see that from Superman movies that often. Like what you're touching at, I'd say Man of Steel is a deeply flawed movie, but when Superman kind of has his most powerful moment there, when he's fighting like the gravity machine and slowly just like going from the ground to raising his fist and the hand Zimmer score is like building and building. Like, I don't care what you say about that movie. That scene gives me chills every time. So kind of what you're pitching there with it being him depowered, like you can do a little bit of a power crawl or like when he eventually has that moment where he has to literally move a mountain in some way, that's going to mean so much more than us just seeing the Christopher Reeves Superman showing up and immediately being at his best. Now, my idea for a Superman movie is a little bit different uh, because superhero movies and origin stories are done so, so much now. Uh, I'd like something that kind of works like this, that celebrate Superman by focusing on the world around him and also talks up some of his characters. Uh, this is a bit of a story idea I had a while ago that maybe wouldn't just work in a movie could work in other things, but I just like to take a deep look at Metropolis and how crime works in a world where your best hero can see and hear everything. So maybe you can see something like there's a group of people that every time Superman's in a fight and the city's getting destroyed, like their job is to run in hit these stores like get tvs and uh valuable jewelry and stuff and get out like they're just a crime syndicate that does that that like they're ready whenever things go wrong and superman's not paying attention maybe you could see like drug runners that use lead-lined sewers of metropolis to get around without him being noticed um maybe the biggest criminals like the mob bosses and stuff you see that they've had to shift from like strict organized crime to like doing crime via philanthropy like that's how they're moving money around and then they're just doing what real life millionaires and billionaires do of like throwing money into a charity and then all of that money actually goes to them and there's nothing technically illegal about it they know the words so instead of it just being superman that's showing up and saving the day with his awesome powers make it a little bit more celebrating uh, Lois Lane. Like maybe she's the big threat is uh, the journalist also a little bit with Clark Kent and his researching. So celebrate these characters that have not gotten their due in a movie because Lois Lane in movies has pretty much just been a damsel and Clark Kent has just been an inconvenience. I want to see a story that celebrates these people for how awesome of characters they really are. Uh, so that sounds like an awesome pitch, man. Uh, let's move on to your one of our last parts of this before we sign out. How do you feel about reading more of action comics in the continuing volumes? Yeah, uh, this volume really turned me around on uh, going forward with action comics. Just I wasn't super sold on the first one. It didn't feel like the story was really meeting Grant Morrison's writing style. Uh, and I think maybe part of that is that I don't think Grant Morrison has done a whole ton of origin stories, or at least the stories I think of when I think Grant Morrison are never origin stories. Uh, but yeah, going forward, I really hope we see a lot more of these uh, awesome backups and the closer look at Metrop the supporting cast of Superman and Metropolis. Uh, so yeah, I am pumped to come back to this uh, once we get through everything else. I agree somewhat. This was an awesome issue. Awesome comic volume i am kind of iffy if you can keep the same level of 
not using too much exposition and keeping it down to earth for all readers in volume three, especially with the last pages being a fifth dimensional threat, possibly for volume three. So I have a little shaky on how well we can do it, but this is Grant Morrison. So if anyone can tell fifth dimensional beings in a story, probably he's the best bet. So I'm looking forward to as well. So cautious optimism going forward. Uh, That sounds about right for this book. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I think that brings our podcast to a close here, but we'd like to thank you once again for giving our new podcast a chance. Uh, feel free to send any of your own questions of the week to us on our Facebook or Twitter, which will be getting started here shortly. Uh, we hope you join us next week where we're going to be covering Batman volume one, but until then we'll still be here comically confused.